Hello, hello. Welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things big emotions, emotion regulation, anxiety, resilience. Uh, I'm in my comorbidity series right now where I'm talking about anxiety plus some other diagnoses. Last week I started on oppositional defiant disorder and I'm going to continue that today. Um, Be sure to listen to last week's episode because it really lays the foundation, just my understanding uh, and how I approach ODD and, and understanding the function of behaviors, but also emotions and how our anxiety can actually look like ODD. So all of that to say, even if there is a diagnosis, I do talk about how, you know, I I don't necessarily support that diagnosis because I've never met an ODD kid. I've met lots of anxious kids who feel threatened and it comes out aggressively. Um, So I would never give that diagnosis, but I certainly have worked with a lot of kids who come with that diagnosis and so if there is a diagnosis the key piece that I'm doing in all of my work and I'm encouraging all clinicians out there to do the same is to make sure we're working with the whole system working with the whole family working with the school working with whoever is in that child or teen's life because if we're putting it all on that child and the focus all on them we're not going to be setting them up for success That child's context plays such a huge, important role in how emotion dysregulation is displayed. And that's essentially what's going on. They're overwhelmed with all of these emotions, right? And it comes out, now I got to protect myself. It comes out with anger and aggression in these kids. And so... It comes out that and and that context can really dictate whether a kiddo is going to manifest a big emotional overwhelm behaviorally or not. So otherwise, we're never going to get anywhere if we're just focusing on the child and just focusing on their skills and expecting them to do all the work when nobody else is setting them up for success, which can be, you know, a huge problem. And we actually know that the main treatment that that's most effective is parent training it's not even looking at the kids it's really the parent training and it's not to blame parents I'm not saying that at all but it's knowing how we respond I always tell parents you know everything that you think you should be doing is probably wrong it's probably the opposite parenting is not intuitive we shouldn't be following our intuition because that's what pulls us into traps right myself included so it's really learning how to focus on reinforcing behaviors that we do want to see how we can build more positive um, interactions with our children our bond with our children our relationship but also positive interactions with other people in their life and positive experiences in their life that's really important so we have to sort of shape the environment for them to be successful Um, so I really am focusing on the parent piece a lot today because it is such an important area to address especially when we're looking at ODD our anxious ODD kiddos because we know caregivers, parents, adults have such a major influence over their well-being and all of our kids' well-being overall, but also, you know, how they view the child can affect how the child views themselves, how the child views the world, how they process the world, how they interpret different situations, how they learn to regulate their emotions. So we really can't miss that parenting piece. I, I really want to say though and I just said it but I want to say it again I'm not placing blame we should never place blame all parents do the best they can with what they've got right in whatever situation they're in as a parent myself I know how exhausting and frustrating and thankless parenting can be and yeah I've got two ADHD girls and it while they are easy ish 
They're not always easy. We have really hard moments. But especially those early years, I had really hard early parenting years. And I look back and I cringe on some of the things that I did. I'm like, I can't believe. But when you're so exhausted and overwhelmed, we don't function. Our brains don't function either, right? Our, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. It can be really hard. Um, and recently, even just with my teenage daughter, I was so upset with her behavior and just, you know, what seemed to be self-centered and disrespectful, right? And I'm like, I'm never going to do anything for her again. And I gave her the cold shoulder. Um, and she's like, Good night, mom. I'm like, whatever. You know, I know that that's not great. But then I know within the hour, I'm loving her and hugging her. And I, I, I can never do that. But in the heat of the moment, it's so hard to do the things that we know we're supposed to do. We all want to protect our kiddos. We all want to do the best that we can. We all want to support them the best that we can. And especially, you know, if a parent, if you're a clinician and parents are bringing their kiddos to see you, they're doing the best that they can. But not all parents know how. And not all parents, they might know how, but they don't have the capacity. And they might have the capacity, but nobody has the capacity to do it all the time. I don't even, right? I'm a parenting expert, parenting everybody else's kids. I fall into those dysregulation traps as well, right? I add fuel to the fire as well. Even just the other day, I'm on my screen and I got upset and I even swore and my daughter's like oh my gosh like you don't have to swear and I'm like oh my gosh my prefrontal cortex went offline it's not an excuse we're all working on this together so I just want to put that out there right it's not a blame game um, and especially when we're talking about these ODD kids because I think so many parents hear that message all the time and I don't want to say that um, but Oftentimes, I do see parents really trying and really trying to do the right thing, but they're unwittingly making things worse, just not knowing, right? Um, I also want to say, too, there isn't a direct causal relationship, right? That bad parenting equals bad kid. No, no, no. So the picture is way more complex than that. So yes, our parenting behaviors can definitely contribute to or maintain anxiety or maintain emotional blowouts, emotional dysregulation or behaviors, but the kiddos' behaviors can really change our behaviors too, right? Um, we know parents can be way more controlling when they have kiddos who have huge emotional big reactions. So the child's behaviors could be creating more controlling responses from parents. We don't know what's the chicken, what's the egg. Is it the controlling behaviors of the parents that create the emotional dysregulation? It's probably this reciprocal nature. It's a, it's a dynamic, interactive nature of what's happening, right? There's a larger sort of contextual piece that we need to, to really consider. Um, so there's the family thing, but even bigger than that, the society and the community that we're in. What about culture and ethnicity and, and socioeconomic class? Kids respond to parenting behaviors differently based on whatever the larger context is in their worlds. So I think that that's really important. Um, so I'm just giving that disclaimer to just really lay the foundation that there's no blaming. We just know parents are just an incredibly important part of how kids develop and adults, any adults. So if you, even for teachers, this is good for them to know if you're working or a coach, all of this is good. But but that's the reason why I'm focusing on our adult behaviors. It's way easier than to address some of the kiddo stuff. So we're really looking at this as a learning opportunity. We're helping parents, caregivers, teachers, coaches, Adults raise their awareness of what's going on and how they can tweak things just a little bit each day. I'm not saying listen to this podcast and tomorrow be the perfect parent or the perfect teacher. It's just one little thing that you're going to tweak a little bit each day, 
right? How can you do a little bit better tomorrow than you did today? That's something I work on myself. I'm always looking, reflecting back on my day. What's one thing I can do a little bit better tomorrow? What's one thing I can focus on a little bit more? So I think that that's important too. And that's something I look at in the families that I work with. Um, There's quite a few different ways that parents can influence kiddos behaviors not cause and I just want to put that out there but influence and and I want to discuss each of these because each of these are points of intervention you don't have to address them all oftentimes just addressing one can make all the difference in the world so if you're a clinician yourself I'd create a sort of brainstorm web of all the possible targets and then together with parents we're going to use that to sort of create a roadmap for intervention. So again we're not going to address everything because usually you know it's just by starting to make one small change in one area that's going to snowball into the rest. And so if you're a parent same thing too create this brainstorm right and then you can create a, a roadmap. Um, it's not an exhaustive list at all but but certainly key areas to address. So with younger kiddos, we really see um, mom and dad's mental well-being. You've heard me say it before. If parents are doing good, kids are usually doing pretty good. If kids aren't doing good, I wonder about mom and dad, right? Because that can be affecting outcomes too. It is true for our older teenage kids, like middle school teenagers, but there's usually other factors going on for them as well that contribute to their sort of social, emotional, psychological well-being. But no matter what, you know, we just want to make sure parents are doing okay, no matter how old their kids are. So this is the first place I want to go. I'm always telling parents, um, you know, if you're doing good, your kiddos are going to do good too. But if you're not, they're probably struggling. And that's probably why you're seeing me. Um, So I think it's just important. How how are they doing? Um, Making sure that they aren't suffering from any depression or anxiety or psychopathology or trauma that they're trying to manage themselves or sleep deprivation because it's going to be so much harder to make the changes if the parents don't have the capacity to support their child. And so we're not even going to be looking at the child yet. We are going to be looking at how do we change the environment and build parents' capacity to help support their children in the first place. It's tricky because I have so many people parents who say just fix my kid and then my stress will go away but it doesn't work that way we need to make sure no matter what what stressors your kid throws at you you can cope with it Um, and it's the same with couples actually I, I do little mini assessments Um, before I do any couples counseling just to make sure each partner is psychologically sound and in a place where they need to be to do the work that they're going to need to do so parents there's just so many things parents need to be able to do they have to regulate their emotions they have to be able to express their emotions positively in in a constructive way not to be happy all the time but how they say that I'm frustrated or angry it's got to be you know a positive role model um They have to start and maintain lots of positive interactions. These are key targets that we're going to be working on, right? So so getting them to a place where they can actually do any of these things is going to be really important. Um, Definitely, we need to address any parental aggression because there's a major risk factor there, of course, right? So if, if parents have an aggressive sort of way of being, whether it's verbally or physically, um, they really obviously can be attributing, you know, um, contributing to their child's behaviors. Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. So they're, they're, those are the models that those their kids are having. But then they're also more likely to misinterpret their kiddo's behaviors. They're more likely to misinterpret their kiddo as being mean and hostile. And so they're going to respond more aggressively themselves. So either way, you know, we definitely want to explore parents' aggression and, and gr- aggressive sort of tendencies and address those 
too. Um, same thing with other factors that I mentioned last time parental control, parental rejection. We really need to build up a lot of positive parenting techniques and even self-confidence as a parent too, right? We, we can be, um, how we respond to our kids can really be affected about how we're feeling as parents. If we're not feeling very effective as a parent, things can really go sideways. So we really got to look at the quality of those parent-child relationships. It's so important. Um, we're looking at strengthening the, the, the warm, non-judgmental sort of accepting relationship. That's so critical because our anxious and ODD kids, they usually tend to receive a lot more frustration and anger and irritation from their parents than warmth and acceptance, especially as they get older. Why are you still doing this? Why do we still have to do this fight? You know, why are we always talking about this? It, it, it can really turn sideways. Um, a key piece of all of this is looking at the quality of interactions between kiddos and their parents. And so there's this bi-directional uh, response pattern that, that ends up happening. Now, some researchers have talked about three sorts of sort of classifications and how parents interact with kiddos. So we've got, you know, responding anxiously, which I've talked a lot about in all of my episodes, you know, modeling anxious behaviors just contributes to anxiety. Um, aggressive, you know, are we showing up aggressively to our kiddos? Um, and socially competent. So healthy parent-child relationships, they're rarely coercive. They're not trying to use control. They're usually interacting um, in a positive way. And so we really need to start thinking about those. But we see really different interactions. So, you know, if you've got um, an anxious, aggressive kiddo, into that mix, as you can imagine, there's going to be a lot more control where both the child and the parent are trying to control each other. Uh, parents tend to be indiscriminate in whether they respond to their child's behavior or to negative behaviors. And, you know, they might be uh, failing to challenge a kiddo who makes really coercive demands. So there's lots of different things to think about. I mean, it, it gets muddly, but Really, what does that all mean? Essentially, what I'm trying to say is kids aren't learning the important cues that they need to learn to be able to manage their emotions, to manage their behaviors. So they're not learning the cues from parents to learn to interact with others appropriately. So if parents are belittling them, blaming them, coercing them, yelling at them, disciplining them, they're just not having those models of how we should interact if things don't go my way, for example, or if there's a conflict. Uh, and we see this not just in our ODD kiddos, parents of anxious kiddos too, and a lot of times moms, I don't want to, you know, put that sort of classification, but we do see in the research, moms of anxious children tend to be way more controlling than other parents. Even parents who do have ODD aggressive kiddos, anxious moms, anxious kids, way more controlling. And the more controlling they are, we see that leads to some of those oppositional defiant behaviors. So in taking that even further, not only are the mothers of anxious children particularly controlling, there's fewer positive exchanges between themselves and their anxious child, even when we're comparing it to the more aggressive kiddos. So we can see this anxiety link. It's really a contributing factor. It's really impairing how we're showing up with our kids and our relationship with our kids. So the the more likely we are to give in to negative behaviors, 
which is what happens. We give in to negative behaviors more than positive ones. And, and, and I know I've talked a lot about that in other episodes. You know, even how our helicopter parents, they can have such a detrimental effect on our kids' development because kids aren't figuring it out for themselves, right? Um, I just heard a quote not too long ago about how we don't shape um, the paths. Like we don't make the perfect path for our kiddos and I've talked a lot about this you know there's the helicopter parents but there's the lawnmower parents who try to have the nice smooth lawn for their kids right (laughs) but then I've also heard the curling parents who are like scraping away the ice making it perfectly smooth so their little rock their little kid can get right to the bullseye exactly where they need to do that's not helpful because the kids are never going to learn we need to help build our kids and focus on them so they can manage whatever path comes their way, no matter how weedy and swampy it is. So all of this to say, it's really about the parental control. Parental control is a huge factor that we need to address. And especially when we're talking about anxiety and ODD, and especially anxiety, because anxious Kids of anxious parents tend to be more controlling. And that parental control can be thought of in a positive way when we're thinking about setting appropriate limits, um, making sure we're monitoring our kids' behaviors in an effective way. So there is effective behavioral control. It's not that we're giving up all control. We just got to make sure it's being effective in the right places. It's negative when there's over control. That's known as psychological control right? What's interesting is when we look at parents who report a low sense of control over their their kiddos are more likely to actually use over-controlling strategies. <clears throat> and so definitely we got to get a sense of that when we're working with families. And I've talked so much about, you know, in the past year in this podcast and really over the past decade and all of my trainings about how this over-control limits brain development and it limits their self-efficacy, resilience, independence, autonomy, takes away kids' feelings that they have any control in the world, which, guess what, leads to problem behaviors and especially, you know, power control types of behaviors. So this is the piece that we can look at. Um, So when we look at behavioral control, that includes monitoring and discipline. So monitoring is, uh, you know, how parents supervise their kiddos, right? How much do they know about what their kids are up to? Uh, Discipline is really all about parents setting and maintaining rules, but engendering values too. So it's not just about punishment and reinforcement. It's about engendering those values in their child. So when we look at appropriate behavioral control we're providing that structure right through supervision through limit setting having really clear concrete expectations and boundaries is really important and so we think about you know when they're babies we put up very concrete boundaries a baby gate you cannot enter here you cannot go up the stairs without supervision right and we need to keep obviously changing them as kids get older, but we need to maintain those as well. Psychological control, though, that's when parents are really um, excessive in trying to regulate their kiddos' routines. They're always nagging and reminding their kiddos to do this, go do that, what about this? You know, they're always jumping in, trying to fix everything for their kiddos. They're never giving their child a chance to problem solve things themselves, right? Um, They're just way more vigilant, way more intrusive. My daughter, actually a great example is uh, my daughter has a field trip tomorrow and the the forms were due like over a week ago just to make sure the medical forms and you know payment and all those things well guess who last night told me oh my gosh I need to have these forms in I guess the teacher gave her you know until today to make sure she brought those in now other parents would be like 
wah, bah, 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 you know, it, what, try and yell and lecture and nag and, and, and all sorts of things. So even though my daughter missed the deadline, I didn't know she missed the deadline. So today was a panic. That's fine. I signed it. She, she took it in. But she problem solved. How do I figure this out? Because she knew coming to me, I'd be like, okay, so what are your options here? You're going to either miss the thing or you're going to figure out how to, how to get to go to your field trip, right? So we want to make sure we're giving them those opportunities to figure things out. Um, I do want to say, you know, sometimes we picture these towering, mean, cold, bossy parents, you know, as the psychologically controlling ones, but it can be the little meek, polite, quiet, sweet parents too, right? So thinking about the parents who are standing over the kids' shoulders when they're working on homework. Oh, oh, yeah, good. Oh, what about this one? They're jumping in. Oh, kiddo, look there. Oh, oh, that one. You know, all those sound effects, you know, as their kiddos are working. Um, I talk a lot about some of the research. You've probably heard me say this, where um, kids are doing these puzzles like anagrams and they're hooked up to stress monitoring uh, wires and so are the parents and the only rule that mothers were given is don't say anything just watch your kiddo and don't say anything but a hundred percent of the mothers this never happens in research but a hundred percent of them said something they either made sounds like oh oh you're so close right they just jumped in and and as as they were watching their stress levels were increasing so were the kids as moms increased the kids increased as mom jumped in and said something her stress immediately decreased but for the kids it went up right and so our nervous system and all those things that we do it really does affect them so whether you know they have an anxious or oppositional kiddo a lot of parents they're intrusive, even in the slightest of ways, because they're trying to help their kiddos succeed. So good intentions, right? Um, making, helping their kiddos succeed or trying to avoid any distress that their kiddo might feel, making them feel better, trying to avoid a panic attack, trying to avoid any aggressive outbursts, you know, in, in an oppositional child. So good intentions but it's not actually helpful so that can be really intrusive we got to look really closely at this intrusiveness and so that's why I'm always getting parents to track their behaviors and how they're responding when this happened what did you say what did you do um I've talked a lot about getting out of these parent traps that maintain anxiety and today I'm going to be adding on the oppositional sorts of behaviors too so we definitely want to help parents develop appropriate sort of behavioral control to support their kiddos because otherwise we're just going to see more anxiety, more opposition, more defiance, more delinquents, you know, um, with these over-controlling parents. And so we need parents to start shifting to encourage their kiddos to be brave, to be independent, to figure things out. So when looking at this too, it'd be really important to look at the functions of their behaviors. Are parents controlling because of their own anxiety? their own beliefs about the need to be protective of their kiddo? Is it their own lack of self-confidence, self-efficacy in their parenting? Um, is it the belief that they don't have any control? Because if they the more they feel they don't have control, the more over-controlling they are. It's really important to consider understanding the functions of the parent's behaviors so we can address that. Um, another piece of all of this is is to be um, helping parents be strong emotion regulators and ultimately co-regulators for their kiddos, right? The family has a huge influence over their kiddos' ability to self-regulate and and whether it's their emotions or behaviors, but it's got to start with the parents first. I've talked about this at length in all of my episodes where I talk about, you know, the parent piece and how we support our kiddos. 
And when we're looking at oppositional defiant kiddos, it's even more important. And we got to look, are parents modeling effective emotion regulation strategies? Kids learn how to regulate by watching their parents. And so we need to help parents learn to regulate their emotions effectively first so they can be good role models. So to be effective, they have to be aware of all their feelings. Whatever the situation is, what are my feelings in the situation? What's going on for me? What's going on for the kiddo? What's going on around me? Can I sustain my ability to co-regulate right now? So we got to look at, are parents so stressed out that they can't do this? So we got to maybe address parents' stress. Maybe we got to help them understand how to promote success with their kiddos. Um, Reducing any of those potential barriers that parents face in supporting their, their kiddos. Um, how are parents, you know, so modeling their own, being able to, to co-regulate, but how are parents reinforcing a kiddo's ability to regulate their emotions? If they're not bringing any attention to those times that their kid does keep it cool or do calm themselves down, and they're only bringing attention to the big emotional outbursts, we're going to have a big problem because the kids are only getting any feedback or attention on those big behaviors big emotions, but never actually learning when they're doing good things too, right? So that's going to be really important. So working on parents' stress, their ability to regulate their own over-aroused emotions is critical, especially if they've got kiddos with oppositional behaviors, right? Because they're highly influenced by any emotional reactions of others, and especially, you know, um, our oppositional kids, but then also being able to look for, you know, catching their kids being good. I think that that's really important. Now, if a child comes home um, and they're upset from a fight that they got into at school, how do parents respond? Probably angrily. It doesn't matter what he did. It's all about your response and how you respond, right? It's not going to be helpful. Parents got to keep their own anger in check. They got to keep their own emotions in check. If, If even if their child was suspended from school right? No matter what, there is a hurt child here. There's a sad child here who needs you on their team. And it's only going to escalate the situation, their emotions. It's going to put them into defensive mode, right? If we let our emotions get in the way, or if a kiddo's stressed, you know, because they failed a test, how do parents respond? Well, if you did stayed off your screens and you studied half as much, blah, 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 it's not going to help. We got to keep our own frustration in control. That kiddo is already upset. Lecturing them about what they should have done, what they should have studied to get off their screens, it's not going to be helpful. They probably already know it anyway. So looking at the emotions of the parents and how they respond, but also what about the emotional climate of the family? right? So that includes parenting behaviors, how they express their emotions. Last week, I mentioned that that parental emotional uh, expression can really contribute to anxiety and ODD. So we know anxious and ODD kiddos tend to have less emotionally warm and supportive parents. They don't get a lot of that positive encourage, uh, encouragement, right? Um, they rate their parents as more neglectful and rejecting. They feel rejected by their parents. So we really got to look at that too. So we therefore want to look at how warm our parents, how emotionally supportive our parents, how emotionally responsive our parents versus how rejecting they are towards their kiddos. And rejection, I mean, it can be outright hostility and name calling and you are not welcome back until you learn to respect me, right? Unfortunately, I do actually see that all the time. But also neglect even in a sort of laissez-faire passive way of parenting, 
right? So, so yeah, you might have a parent who's really controlling, but not a lot of warmth, not a lot of positive emotions. Um, yeah, you're going to get an oppositional kid. But even if they're like, ah, oh, whatever you do, you, that's going to be a problem too. So how parents express their emotions tells us a lot about how they're modeling that emotional expression, as well as what emotions kiddos are actually exposed to in the home. So we know our anxious parents aren't very emotionally expressive. They bottle it all in. They're not using as many positive words with their kids compared to non-anxious parents. Um, They tend to discourage their kids way more who do try to express their emotions. Our kiddos with oppositional behaviors tend to have parents who express more anger, more hostility than other parents. And so that's what they're modeled. That's all they know is anger and hostility and aggression, right? So they're exposed to far more negativity in their relationships. Uh, Any minimizing kids' feelings or, you know, just saying, oh, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about why are you overreacting? It's such a small deal. I mean, that's minimizing. But even, you know, that's on the one end, but punishing them for expressing any emotion, that's just going to set them up for dysregulation. The best regulated kiddos are those with warm, responsive parents who do express their emotions. So again, a key area that we're going to be looking on is helping parents model a whole range of emotions. And most importantly, even in those negative moments of frustration, they're able to express them in a positive way. Not that, like, not I'm pretending to be happy. It's like, oh, I'm really frustrated or I'm really stressed right now. Okay, this is what I'm going to do to manage it. That's what I mean. So, so adults need to learn, again, positive, effective role modeling for emotion regulation, but they also need to know how to respond, how to interact and respond to an emotionally dysregulated kiddo, right? Being able to communicate in helpful ways, that's going to be important. Knowing how to interact without getting caught into a power struggle or escalating the situation is really important. Uh, I find understanding the functions of behaviors and setting kids up for success is really critical here because with that understanding, we can respond in helpful ways. Getting on offense, strengthening that relationship, promoting those positive behaviors, um, that, that can make all the difference in the world. Another reason, too, that that positive modeling in adults in these ODD kiddos' lives is so important is because of all of the information processing deficits these kids have. So, yes, there is some genetics at play, but the social environmental influences that we're talking about, they're so critical and something we can actually do about, right? We can't really do much about genetics. It is never helpful. I've already talked about that in previous episodes because it creates this permanence that nothing can change. I can't do anything differently. So we really want to focus on the environmental influences and that's everybody around us usually, oftentimes. And kids, their misinterpretation bias that they have are learned behaviors. So kiddos look to their parents initially and peers, anybody that's important in their life for social cues and and for the social cues just in how to handle and respond to situations but also how to interpret situations and and so when we're looking at the parent training piece we we really need to look at all of this as well now last episode i talked about how our anxious and odd kiddos they tend to interpret that ambiguous situations negatively right and usually is threatening and so those behaviors align with how they interpret the situation One thing that I didn't mention then, because I wanted to talk about today, is that those negative interpretations and the choices on how they handle the situation, they usually increase after a discussion with their parents. So meaning, what does that mean? Why am I saying that? Meaning parents 
of anxious children, they tend to reinforce avoidant solutions. Okay? Parents of aggressive children tend to reinforce aggressive solutions. Ding, 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 right? So this is a major area for parent training. So parents of typically developing kiddos with no signs of anxiety, no signs of oppositionality, they listen to their kiddos. They listen to their kiddos, they agree with them, or better stated, not agree with them, they validate. They validate their kiddos' perspective. That is so key here. And I've talked about the importance of listening and validating. And the most effective responses when anxiety shows up is validation on the one hand and confidence on the other. And so if you've got an anxious parent, they're more likely to reinforce the anxious, anxious avoidant ways of responding. ODD parents of ODD kids tend to reinforce that aggression. We got to learn how to validate. That's such an important piece. So learning to listen and, and to validate their kiddos feelings and all the situations, that's the number one thing that we need to work on. And is what I work on with my families. So if parents can get that, the rest of the work is so easy, right? Um, I'm always working on collaborative problem solving with parents. I'm always working on effective communication and that listening and that empathy and compassion, but validation, it's so paramount, paramount. My words are escaping me today. So with that collaborative problem solving, parents are modeling really helpful, adaptive ways to solve problems rather than freaking out, which is a, a key skill for our kiddos. Uh, helpful parents, they also reinforce really pro-social solutions to different situations and they point out positive consequences. So when compared to um, parents of, of both anxious kiddos, right, and aggressive kiddos, so we're seeing the striking difference in how parents communicate with their children. So how parents have these discussions can really contribute to how anxious and or oppositional children, I would say they were all anxious, how they're processing that information. So we really need to work on this. So getting all adults in that child's life, working on the same page, working together is gonna to be really important as well. It's not just the one parent, looking at the whole family and the whole context. Family therapy is such a helpful piece where everyone coming together to learn about ODD anxiety henchmen how to stop doing what it wants what anxiety wants you know what those henchmen want um, and how to stop fueling the anxiety or ODD fire right how do we communicate better how do we problem solve how do we find solutions together that's what we need to focus on so on that note how we communicate how we problem solve that's huge right if if we're always better together as a family, parents and children all included. So by learning that effective communication and problem solving, parents learn strong listening, strong validation, compassion, empathy, all of those skills, and they're modeling great conflict resolution, great problem solving skills to their kids as well. And so parents are learning to take their kiddos' perspectives and how they see the situation. Kids too are learning to take other people's perspectives, which is also helpful in managing emotions and being flexible, getting out of that rigid rock brain. And kids have a sense of control when they're working collaboratively with parents versus always being told what to do. So all of that piece is so important. And, and, and I would say, you know, all of my work, I don't even necessarily need to see the kids. I would, I would actually say I don't need to ever see kids. If I can get all of that going, I do like seeing kids so I can see where the communication breakdowns are, are going. Cause I think parents are like, yep, got it, got it, got it. And 
yeah, they, they've learned it and they're implementing it and it's just little tweaks. So I still like seeing it, but it's all of that effective communication piece. That's the secret sauce for everything. Pretty much for any problem that anybody comes in to see me with, it's all about effective communication. When we look at the kiddos skills, which are the last, I've got my resilience um, pyramid. So it's all about the environment. Well, first, you know, are they getting their basic needs met, right? Like are their nutrition and sleep and all of those kinds of things, but the environment, right? What are their connections? What is the environment? Is the environment supporting them to be successful and, and their social interactions and opportunities? The very last piece of the triangle, the very last piece that we look at is the child's skills because I'm not going to build their skills and then throw them back into an environment that's not going to support them to be successful, right? If, if I'm going to throw them back into an environment with a really stressed out parent who can't effectively co-regulate their emotion, I can't make a kid, expect a kid to be able to regulate themselves when the parents are, aren't able to, right? So, so that's where I'm going to go last when I know I can put them back into an environment where they're going to be successful, but I'm really working on their emotion regulation. So learning how to tolerate the overwhelm of the emotions, how to manage those big emotions when they do show up. And so we know that emotion regulation combined with behavioral strategies is really helpful. What is driving the behavior and how can we shape them to be more adaptive is kind of what we look at. Now, when you read, I mean, there's so much information out there, right? You can Google pretty much anything. You can YouTube anything. When you're reading popular blogs, they say controlling anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. If you heard me talk last time, definitely do listen to last week's episode. But it's a secondary emotion. Either way, we don't have it. I always say I've got our dials and, and, and trying to control our emotion dial is near impossible. It's really about looking at everything I've talked about on this podcast, right? Even professionals who've gone through my anxiety compass, they realize it's not just about anxiety. You know, anything I talk about, it's really about emotion regulation. It's for all big emotions. Tolerating the overwhelm of the emotions and knowing how to respond effectively is really important. So we're absolutely working on emotion regulation, right? Because our ODD and anxious kiddos, they don't have those skills to regulate that emotional arousal. And there's lots of different skills too, of course, that they need to effectively um, learn. So they got to monitor how they're doing, evaluating how they're doing, evaluating their emotions, raising awareness to their emotions, um, adjusting their emotional reactions to respond in helpful ways. Right now, they're just reacting automatically. And so for our ODD kiddos, they're automatically responding responding to something that they're interpreting as threatening. And so it's outside their conscious awareness. We need to build their awareness. So we're building their emotional understanding, their emotional literacy, and that awareness of what's going on for them, right? So learning how to identify their emotions, of course, is helpful. And then once they can, what are some adaptive, helpful coping strategies to keep our prefrontal cortex online so we can respond in adaptive ways whenever those big emotions do come up? How do we problem solve solutions to whatever the problem is? And how then can I make myself feel better, right? Once I follow all of these steps. So it's important that we're addressing not just anxiety or anger, irritability, we're addressing a wide range of emotions, right? Sadness frustration, rejection, disappointment, but even excitement because we get a lot of kiddos who are easily dysregulated because they get too excited. And so now they're silly, right? So emotion regulation, it's influenced by so many different things, right? Um, kids' temperament, of course, um, 
what information are they paying attention to in the first place, right? So some kids who are more anxious are going to look out for any sign that somebody's looking at me funny where other kids are just going to miss those cues at all. So what is it that they're paying attention to? Can they shift their attention away? right? It's kind of like when a train wreck is happening, you just can't stop looking, but can they shift their attention away from the trigger, whatever it is, it's upsetting them. Um, what's their effortful control? It's effortful. It's really hard, right? So that's their underlying ability to regulate their emotions. So we really have to look at what those automatic responses are and start creating a new, more adaptive way of functioning, really, right? Which can only ever be done successfully if we first change that environment, right? And making sure others are responding to the kiddo effectively in the first place. Um, we also need to address that information bias that I've talked about. Because remember, I mentioned that these kiddos, they experience these biases, right? Um, in, in how they interpret information and it contributes to either anxious or aggressive behavior, but it's also maintaining those behaviors. So we're working on that threat bias for sure. Um, so let's let's give an example. I think that can be helpful. So let's say a kiddo um, asks a kid to sit next to them or ah, that's a tricky one. Borrow a pencil. Okay. Let's say I'm going to, hey, Johnny, can I borrow your pencil? And they say no. Our anxious kiddos are more likely to immediately assume that their classmate is mad at them or doesn't like them, right? But they're not going to think about, well, maybe it's Johnny's only pencil and they need it for themselves, right? But a lot of these misinterpretations have everything to do with attention. What are they paying attention to? So both our ODD and our anxious kiddos, they pay attention to anything that would say scary, threatening, harmful, right? And so they're always going to interpret this is threatening. He doesn't like me and he's not my friend, and he snarls at me, right? Like it just becomes this big thing for them. But really, you know, they're just way more sensitive to any negative information, even if it's like, no, sorry, like it's my only pencil. They're just gonna interpret that and they're way more sensitive to any negative information than other kiddos. So I think that that's really important. So another example that I often give too is, you know, let's say you're sitting, or not, you're not sitting, kids are sitting and they're talking. You walk into the room, they look up at you, immediately look back at each other, whisper and start laughing. What do you think that they're talking about? 100% of the time, immediately they say, they're talking about me, they're laughing at me, they're making fun of me, they're saying something mean about me, right? There are so many different interpretations of what could be going on, but that's where their brain is always gonna go. It's some threat to me, right? And it's always going to look at all of the information to confirm that hypothesis. Not thinking about, it's natural just to see who walked into the room. It's totally natural curiosity. Who knows, they could have already been in a, a, a middle of a joke and you happen to walk in right at the punchline and it was inappropriate, which is why they had to whisper. Maybe somebody else behind you was walking in. Maybe something else, like there's just so many different reasons, right? So we gotta look at that attention. What are they paying attention to? So we're really talking now about those executive functioning skills. I can't get into all of the executive functioning skills because it's quite uh, complicated, right? Um, so I think, you know, um, I do talk about some of that in my episode on anxiety and ADHD, but for today, I'm really going to talk about the impulsivity, which is the crux of all executive functions. 
So in this case, when we're looking at the information processing biases specifically, and we know our ODD kiddos usually have ADHD and, and executive functioning deficits, which is the core deficit of ADHD, but regardless, they have this information processing bias, right? So we wanna help kiddos overcome that tendency to get distracted by and hyper-focused on irrelevant information because they have a huge significant tendency to immediately jump to any interpretation that involves something negative, some negative judgment about themselves, something harmful or threatening towards themselves. So we definitely wanna look at those interpretations. So interpretation training, um, maybe with a reward system as well. Um, cognitive shifting, a lot of our kids just have a really hard time with this, you know, so can they shift away from the irrelevant information? This is really key and something I discuss in great detail when I go into my anxiety compass training program. I've got two whole modules based on the idea of cognitive shifting alone, because that's where we ruminate and we get sucked into the story, right? In, in, into the conspiracy theory. Uh, building on their problem solving skills is really important for both our anxious and ODD kiddos. I've already talked about the importance of parent models and effective problem solving there, but they need to work on that skill as well. And so we're addressing information processing specifically, right? That's really helpful when we go through this problem solving process. So thinking about the consequences um, of different actions or the benefits of thinking negatively or whatever, you know, whatever else, and then selecting the appropriate solution. Um, I talk about it in the module and give lots of different experiential examples, but I usually go into more experiences. You know, we can do a lot of that problem solving and shifting when through experiences versus sitting and talking about it. So I think that that, and especially our potentially ODD kids and anxious kids and potential ADHD kids, like just learning through experience. I mean, that's my mantra, right? That's where we do it all. And that's where the cognitive shifting and stuff can can really come into play. Um, we want to make sure we're working on peer relationships. That's so critical. So this is where a lot of work comes into play for teachers, unfortunately. And that's usually kind of the biggest barrier because I know teachers are overworked and there's not a lot of manpower resources. But, but teachers, we really got to look at that peer rejection and teachers can directly influence reducing peer biases. Um, and, and promoting more positive interactions in the classroom. So even little things like only praising kiddos publicly and only giving any corrective feedback privately, right? I actually have a whole module in my ADHD masterclass where I walk about this relation, talk about this relationship building and, and how we have to focus on the environment, re reducing that peer bias before we ever work on social skills. So it's not about the social skills. It's really about what teachers can do to facilitate sort of positive biases about kids because usually it's Johnny, 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 Johnny. If they're hearing Johnny's name all day, th those kids' brain are going to associate Johnny as bad, right? Um, so definitely check out that or reach out to me if you have specific questions about that piece just because there's so much and I know there's so much to go through. Sleep is definitely something we have to address because it's a problem. We see far more anxiety, far more oppositional behaviors, far more um, behavior dysregulation, if there's co-occurring sleep concerns, I would say we got to get the sleep taken care of first. There's nothing else that we can do. Our brain won't have the capacity to do what it needs to do if we're really tired. And there's other things we can implement too. You know, we know our ODD kiddos don't really, they're not as engaged in school activities or extracurricular activities 
usually because of avoidant behaviors from anxiety, right? Or just they're in this failure loop where just it doesn't matter where they go or who they talk to. It's just corrective feedback. They're just never feeling successful. And so it's just better to avoid all of these things. So we want to get them exposed to lots of different situations, get them involved in schools, get them involved in their community, in different activities. All of those things are so important. So it's a lot. I, I went through a lot. There always is. I've been, I think I need to like s- stretch out a lot of my episodes and just give one nugget of information every week. But then that could be like a whole year just talking about ODD and anxiety. So I know it's a lot. You might have to go back and listen through. These are all things I do talk about in my anxiety training program, but I'm happy also to consult or just chat. If you've got any questions, reach out to me because I know that there's so many moving pieces and every child is so complex and so different. This is kind of a broad overview, but hopefully that's helpful. And just understanding, you know, reframing how we think about ODD behaviors, looking for and understanding that underlying anxiety and making sure we're setting up that environment for them to be successful where all the adults and people in our lives are really validating and are accepting no matter what the behaviors are because that's where we're going to start seeing things turn around so i will leave it there for today go and help those kids be bold and courageous and resilient and join me for my anxiety masterclass if you're interested otherwise i will see you next week